0: to my independent reporter we got a show for you today we have a a wonderful gentleman that is uh full of life he's had quite the life when when you go through his resume which i'm about to do his name is danny van and he's with us he was born in well you know he was born in the 50s just like i was and he's the oldest of six kids and he's faced many challenges in his life. He's a former trauma and foster care survivor, and a prime example of how to overcome life's obstacles. He's been inspiring and motivating people for motivating people for decades through his professional work. Yes, he was of note, and in Vegas and other places throughout Canada, he was a Elvis impersonator when Elvis was still alive, mm-hmm. which is a very unique position to be in because they can look at the real thing and 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 so he he was very good at what he did and um he did that for a period of time and he's a motivational speaker um he's worked in computers projects and and then then he then as we all do we fa- he faced a health crisis which was uh uh open heart surgery and a heart attack and uh, and then he decided in the spring of his life uh, Somewhere in the in the 50s, to become a minister. And he became an ordained minister, and he's the founder and director of the Aging Out Academy, which we're going to talk about, and also his book that he's written, which is 99 Days of 100% Encouragement, uh, and his journey, and we'll talk through his journey uh, about being the shadow of the king. Thank you very much. Thank you <laughs> and uh, and the and story of hope and resilience. You know, Danny, first of all, it's a pleasure to have you with me.
1: Thank you, Kevin. It's great to be here.
0: I've been, I've been looking forward to this because you are one of those guys that uh, if you stack up what's happened in your life, it really is quite extraordinary. All the things and all the places you've been. And, and all the uh, people that you've met in your life, and, yeah. and I think in Vegas, and a performer in Vegas, I know that you mm-hmm. probably have got stories that you're not allowed to tell here. But uh, some folks, <laughs> 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 I think that was an affirmative. Um, that <laughs> but you, but you met some some great people when you you were yes. traveling around as as doing Elvis.
1: Yes, I did. I, I met some of the greats uh, early in my life as well. I, I mean, it was I was in my uh, still in my teens when I met some of the old country, Western greats, uh, Ferland Husky, Tex Ritter, um, you know, and some of those kinds of folks, yeah.
0: You got to meet Tex Ritter. And I did. He w- I, Go I ahead. Did.
1: Yes, I met Tex Ritter. I was uh, a part of an opening act for a, a performance that he was doing uh, for the Sheriff Passy. Oh, hang on a second! I have to cancel this. I beg your pardon.
0: That's all right. That's the president calling.
1: Yeah, I'll put this. I'll put this on mute now. There we go. All right. There we're good. All right. Um, and
0: you, the, the president will call.
1: Yeah, i wonder why I'm still hearing something. Are you hearing that?
0: No. I. I there's a, yeah. There's something in the background. Yeah. All right, it finally stopped. I, yeah, that was gone. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's what happens when you do live. So. When you do live, you get stuff
1: things happen. Nope. But but anyway, I was I was performing uh, in my early, I mean, I was I got my first guitar when I was 16. And so at at 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, I was asked to perform as an opening act. Uh, for the country western stars that were coming through Michigan uh, performing for uh, benefit concerts for the sheriff's posse because they did these concerts to raise money to help with families and programs and stuff that they were running and so I got to meet Tex Ritter and uh, actually talked with him backstage. He, He used to smoke one of those old Pipes, you know those curly pipes, and stood there with his curly pipe smoking it in backstage. And and I asked him, I said, I said, Mister Ritter, I said, can you tell me the secret to success and entertaining? And uh, and he says to me, he looks, he drops his pipe, and he looks down at me, and he goes, "Son, music is a business. If you treat it like one, you'll be successful."
0: And. That sounds like a really good piece of advice.
1: It was incredible advice for a 17-year-old who was was wowed by music. Uh, to back up, uh, probably uh, two or three years, I was in an orphanage wanting to get a guitar and wanting to be a singer. And they brought entertainers into the orphanage that, that myself and my five siblings were at. Uh, it was St. Vincent's home in Saginaw, Michigan. And these live entertainers came, a live band came and played for us. And I was just like, wow, this is, these are live musicians and they're singing for me, you know? <laughs> and it, no, it was like, wow, I got to be around some live musicians. And, and after they got done singing, they came off the stage and shook my hand. And the like incredible person. Yes. But 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 again, it you know you see a lot of these entertainers. They come, they perform, they they get done, they run off stage, they you know they go back to whatever until the audience is gone. Then they clean up and leave. And you you don't you never used to be able to get in touch with them. Well, well these guys shook my hand and that really impressed me so much that when I got into my full time entertaining, I literally would jump off stage even before they had wireless microphones. I would get a 200-foot microphone cable, I would jump off stage and I would walk through the audience while I was singing so I could shake people's hands. And I I, I entertained for over 45 years. And Kevin, I, I did the calculation when I was writing my book, In the Shadow of the King. And I literally took that one handshake at the orphanage in Saginaw, Michigan. I literally shook over 10,000 hands over my career in all the concerts that I did.
0: Well, uh, and and enjoyed every handshake. I mean.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But the, the moral of the story, the message to you out there, if you think a little thing that you do is not a big deal, that's, that's a good, that, that you'd think that, but do it anyway, because you have no idea what one little handshake can do to shake the world because little things to somebody who doesn't have much are really big.
0: And I like to say, you know, be kind to everyone. And even if that means, especially at, at the grocery store.
1: (laughs) And especially if they're either in front of or behind you. (laughs) <laughs> exactly,
0: or the, or the checkout gal who yes, is yes. standing there all day long on her feet yeah. and they have to hurt by about hour seven or eight oh, no doubt yeah and a lot of times nobody will say anything nice to her and the next time i implore everybody next time you're at the grocery store watch the behavior of the people around you when they're getting their check and when they're checking out their groceries and you can see why a lot of the, the checkout people take an attitude because nobody's nice to them. Yeah. So if you, yeah. if you just be, and you might be the, you might be the only person that they're going to get a smile from all day long and yeah. make it be you. Yeah. I think that's important. Good. Yes. That's, that's really cool. Now let's, let's, let's talk about your start in life because you mentioned that you were one of six. You were the oldest of six. Yes and you ended up in a foster home and you ended up in an orphanage for a a long period of time Uh,
1: yeah yeah orphanage was for about a year and a half and then the foster home was another year and a half prior to that we were in what they call today kinship care Uh, we were farmed out the various relatives for you know months at a time so you know I, i figured it out by the time i graduated high school i had moved uh
0: Fifteen times in my life, and so the it was a matter mm-hmm. of the, the relatives that would decide they would take one or two, or they couldn't take you all. Probably, right? Yeah,
1: there were six of us. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: so <clears throat> the family, the, the parents
1: got divorced. It was a violent divorce. There was violence before, during, and after. Um, and so, uh, back in the sixties, because because it was in the early sixties when the divorce happened. Uh, uh, mom's always got the kids in the house, right? I mean, that was just the way it was back then. And, and she didn't do a lot of working at the time. Uh, so when when she got the house and the six kids and whatever alimony uh, she got uh, from, from dad, um, she went out and took a job as a, a short order cook and a waitress. Well, I mean, even today, people you can't raise six kids and run a household on a, on a, on a short order cook and or a waitress salary, you know, even with tips, you know? Uh, And so it was a struggle for her. But, but even at that uh, you have to understand that um, mom got pregnant when she was 15. I was born when she was 16. By the time she was 22, she had six kids. Right. And by the time she was, uh, what was she
0: 27 or 28 she was divorced you know so and i, I want to remind everybody in those I mean, days when we're talking about the early 60s yes in yes. those days most women did not work no outside the home. no and if you did you didn't get paid much yes and so consequently when the husband and the divorce happened and there was violence involved yeah. um and so it had to happen yeah um yeah. it was really tough for her yeah to be able to make a living and to make it work for six kids yes. and, and stuff. So, you know, you can't fault somebody for that circumstance that, that they fall themselves. I, in.
1: Yeah. And, and it, none of this is about fault. It's just about observation, you know, looking at this is what happened. Right. Um, the other, the other thing that happened as a result of having six kids and being, you know, close to 30 and finally being free to some extent, you don't have, the you know the the violent man standing over you telling you everything you can and can't do well you know she never had a life because she was 50 you know (laughs) and so now all of a sudden she's free um she didn't probably make all the best decisions on how to handle money and time and work with six kids you know what i'm saying
0: Well, when you're being polite, (laughs) yeah, well, when you're, when you're, when you're 30, you're still in, in in my mind, since she was married at 15, she never experienced being on her own. She never experienced managing her own finances. Her husband, I'm sure did all of that. She didn't get to have all the fun. (laughs) And she was, and she was stuck home with the kids. Yep. Exactly. And, and so, and especially when there were six of the yeah, six of you and she was so young, yep. you, I mean, you, she was virtually pregnant from the time she was 15 to the time she was 22. Yeah. Uh,
1: two, two of my siblings are the same age for one day, <laughs> they were just short of a year. And they're the same age for one day. That was the, that, that close. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's, and I hope everybody is well, than, and and growing growing up in that situation, it would be they're, very tough. They they
1: they're all well. Um, are they are we all well adjusted? No. Are we all getting along? No. You know, there's, you know, one of the one of the things that I have discovered recently, and this is important because people look at foster kids or they look at kids that come from broken homes as as juveniles as delinquents as troublemakers as problem child children and one of the things that I've learned in my recent uh, research and investigation is that um, Dr. Bruce Duncan Perry just came out with a book what happened to you and the whole premise is instead of looking at someone like a a child or even a young adult or even a middle-aged adult who has issues Instead of asking what's wrong with you, the question should be, what happened to you? What did they do to you? And here's where I'm going with that. You asked about, you know, uh, um, um, coming out of that and are the siblings getting along? Well, I was about nine or ten when the divorce went down. My baby sister was only five or six. Okay. Yep. And trauma interrupts the development of the pathways in the brain to the point where the brain doesn't function because it never had nurturing. It never had loving. It never had stability. It was interrupted. The environment was interrupted. Like I said, myself, I moved 15 times before I graduated out of high school. Every time you move, it's trauma and changing schools is trauma. You know, having different reasons for moving was trauma. And so it messes with your brain. And the younger you are, the worse it is because you don't know how to form words when you're five, six years old to talk about what you're thinking or feeling or what you need, right? And if you're not getting nurtured and you're not getting all those, quote-unquote, normal life things that are supposed to come with a healthy family, then your brain doesn't get wired correctly, and some people never really get it. the The good news is it can be rewired. If you yes. if you get that love, if you get that care, and you get that stability, the brain can heal itself. And so that's the good news. But uh, but all these people that are having these problems is, you know, you you hate to say it's not your fault, but. Here's a case where you didn't have the opportunity to grow correctly. And so those wires, there's gaps. You don't have connections in there.
0: Well, you know, a a couple things. First of all, a a lot of times, I, I call it the seven generation syndrome, which is the sins of the father are... Uh, uh, brought to the sun brought to the sun and that happens with domestic violence it also happens with people that when they're young especially women and uh, they tend to have children when they're young because that's where they're getting their love from is what they think is and so a lot of times it could be your mom had you at 15 uh, and your your sister had your nephew at 16 or you know some yep, stuff like that yep. and it, it the, the the cycle repeats itself until yes. somebody breaks it yes i broke and, it i broke and it you're you're and you have done a fabulous job of <laughs> of breaking that because that that cycle is pervasive yeah. and it, it can go and it, and it invades people's thoughts and invades their mind right. and it can cause a lot of a lot of difficulty and so congrats first of all i gotta congratulate you because thank you've thank done you. Some remarkable things that we're going to talk about. Some of those things that you that you are doing to give back to uh, to the community to help people, especially kids. By the way, I have to I have to bring this up because you said the term uh, "juvenile delinquent." For those of you that may be under forty, you may have (laughs) never heard that term, but that's what they used to call kids that came from a broken home. That might not be getting the guidance that they should have as they're growing up, and are failing in school, or they're they're stealing, or they're doing that. They they were called juvenile delinquents. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't use that term anymore, but that, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's but that's <laughs> that's what they were back then. So if you were right. curious about what that meant, that's what yeah. that means. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 like I, I, in another previous show. Uh, so I I said to somebody, and your Rolodex is really probably pretty full. So then yeah. I had to explain what a Rolodex <laughs> is. Yes, <Yeah. laughs> because so, it's not okay. like it's in your phone. And it's there used to be an actual um, a box that was called a Rolodex that all of your contacts were in. Haven't they come out with a Boomer
1: Thesaurus yet? I mean, I would think they got a they got Urban dictionaries. Don't they have a Boomer dictionary yet? No,
0: that's because we're all dying. <laughs> we need you to know. have
1: somebody put one together for the kids.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> terms terms that used to be that are no longer functional. Right. It's right. it's like uh, you know. So in any event, but yeah. but so you you. Uh, you get out of foster care, you're 18, you're 17, you learn how to play guitar. Then then, how did you come up with the idea of becoming an Elvis impersonator? Always, always
1: wanted to, even as a little tyke. Uh, mom was a big Elvis fan. And so it was just some, I always wanted to be like that. And uh, when I got my guitar, it was like, first song I learned how to play, Love Me Tender. And uh love
0: you me, me. you yeah. had yeah, that one.
1: That's it. Yeah. So I did that and and it was just something I always knew I wanted to do. You know, it's kind of like you hear from the Simone Biles of the world and you hear from some of these other folks, you know, that that have gone on to do great things. And it was like I just that's that that was me. It fit me. And and I liked it,
0: you know, and I, I, I wanted to do it so I did. (laughs) And you know, the cool thing is that you still got hair. Yeah. There's still some up there. Yeah. (laughs) Which, which you would need if you were going to be an Elvis impersonator. Well, truth
1: be told in, in the, uh, late seventies up through the late eighties, uh, I went and bought an Elvis wig, uh, because (laughs) my hair is so curly. Uh, and, uh, and I, I got a A picture there was a picture in our newspaper one time of a concert that I did and they they had a nice close-up of me and I I I got a look at what my hair looked like and I thought (laughs) you
0: that doesn't look like Elvis's
1: hair you know uh later on I found out that it didn't matter to the audience you know um they they uh they they got the persona concept but when I got the wig and I, I some one of my fans from the fan club actually made me a jumpsuit. So I had I had the jumpsuit and uh, I got the wig and I had the jumpsuit and I bought a pair of the sunglasses that Elvis wore in the concerts. And, man, it was it, it went over well. People liked it. People liked it.
0: Well, and and uh, according to your bio, and I am sure it's true that you you played in Vegas and internationally throughout Canada and Nova yes. Scotia yep. and and all over the place. You you right. you were you were Elvis. Did you when you were on stage? Because I I in my youth I was an actor, okay. and I would take on when I was doing a role I, and I knew it well. I would take on the persona of the person that I had created. Did you feel like you were Elvis when you were on stage? That that's that's a great question, because in
1: fact, it was something that that I made a speech about on all my concerts Uh, after Elvis died. Uh I stopped doing Elvis and the audience. uh, We were at a a supper club and I was performing with a show band and we and I would do my Elvis periodically. And I stopped doing Elvis out of respect. It was like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore, you know. And they just kept calling for Elvis and they kept calling for Elvis. And so finally I did a few songs and just got standing ovation for every song I did. And, and when, when, when that happened, I, I kind of relented and I said, if that's what they want, that's what I'm here for. I'm an entertainer. And then it became a matter of keeping his memory alive. Right? Exactly. Because This was 1977. I started doing Elvis in 1968. So I had already been doing it for nine years. And so the first time I came out with a jumpsuit on stage after he died, I made a speech. I know I'm not Elvis. He can't be replaced. I'm here as a fellow Elvis fan to do a respectful salute. To the person that I believe was the greatest entertainer the world has ever known. I made that speech. They, they gave me a standing ovation for that. Of course. And, and, and to answer your question about did I think I was Elvis on stage? No. What I did do, though, was try to interpret what I thought Elvis would do with these various songs based on what I saw his moves in the movies. And I did get to see him perform live twice, right? Um, and so based on all those clips, and of course everyone has seen him in concert, you know, if you are, have anything to do with Elvis, they had the concerts to, you know, in, in videotaped and all that. I didn't have any of that. So I had to imagine what Elvis would do. And so I didn't really call myself an impersonator back then. I called myself an Elvis interpreter. Ooh. I would interpret and I would leave room for me to to be in there. And I would put my pieces in there. And I used to kind of make fun of it And uh, when I was doing interviews. Uh, and they'd say, well, what do you mean you're an interpreter? I said, well, I do what I believe Elvis would do during a song. But I leave room for me to be able to do it my way.
0: <laughs> of course of course he wrote the song or he didn't really write the song but, but he's that saying. was a
1: big hit of his and that's how he closed yeah. a lot of his concerts was I did it my way so and Elvis was unique he did things his way so so I no I I, I didn't and that was one of the things that the audience would really appreciated I, I learned over the years because I saw many Elvis impersonators I I went to different uh activities different, um events and stuff and and these guys did try to in fact I was at the Detroit uh, news uh, on what would have been Elvis's 50th birthday um and so that was in 19 was it 80 85 1985 and <clears throat> they were calling Elvis's and back then this was only a few years after he died. there weren't that many Elvis originators back then, right? So they they wanted us to all come to the Detroit uh, uh, news building, and and they were going to take a group picture with us, right? Well, some of these guys, one guy showed up in a limo, in a jumpsuit, (laughs) right? Walked in. He came in at the same time I did. Now, I was working in corporate America. I was a computer project, uh, computer programmer at the time. And I was in a three-piece suit when I showed up, and I had my jumpsuit over my shoulder in a garment bag, right? And my my wig was – I had a wig case. So I'm carrying that. And and this guy shows up in the limo, and I looked at him, and I looked at this, and he had not only a limo, Kevin, he had a bodyguard. <laughs> and and he gets out of this limo, and his bodyguard opens the door and brings him up to the front door and opens the door for him, and I'm, I'm watching all this we get to the elevator and we're going to go up to, I forgot what floor it was, 11th floor or whatever. And bodyguard pushes all the buttons. We get in, the bodyguard stands between me and him, you know, and he's in the corner and I'm there. I'm just thinking to myself, get over it, man. It's just, you know, he's gone and we're just here to have some fun. You know, Um, I brought my guitar that day and I was able to, uh, sing a little bit and, and probably about half of us were just guys, you know, we're just there having fun and we sang a bunch of songs and and when they took the picture, my best friend made me this black guitar and he put rhinestones with my name on it, Danny Van, on the guitar, right on the body of the guitar. And so I, I had the foresight Uh, to wear a uh, black jumpsuit because everyone else wore white. And I also brought my acoustic guitar. Nobody else brought a guitar. (laughs) So they put me in the center of the picture on the front page of the Detroit news with my guitar that said Danny Van on it.
0: (laughs) And uh, I just had a thought. Do you remember when Mark, when um, uh, uh, Hearn's fought Leonard, or it was either Hagler or fought Leonard, or one of those guys, I seem to remember a billboard with your name on it in Las Vegas. Am I? Am I? Is that possible? No, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I mean there Danny was, Van, Danny Danny Van is Elvis. Did there was
1: there was a there was a comedian in Vegas at that time by the name of Bobby Van. Uh, and, maybe that was and, it. and he was pretty big. He wasn't doing Elvis, but he he was pretty big. But there was also at the Imperial Palace, which is where I performed, the pure palace and at the frontier, there was uh Legends in Concert, is the impersonator troupe that had Hank Williams, Johnny Cash, you know uh, Elvis, uh, a couple of the women. I don't remember if they had Dolly Parton or who they had, but anyway, they had like eight or ten impersonators, uh, uh, and they. So that might have been what you saw, but it wasn't. It wasn't me. It
0: must have been an impersonator. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know there there was a difference. <clears throat> I think. After Elvis passed away and you know it, it's it's shocking to me that some of the best idols in the world um or or musicians or folks that have had an impact died so young Elvis was one John Lennon was another um and they've been gone gosh 50 years yeah and you know yeah. And so yeah but they're, but they're still recognized as being really really cool folks and and I think that velvet that elvis is uh legacy uh will go on for a long time but i i think with uh, there were a lot of personators that after after he passed away and they would be impersonators rather than interpreters or rather than folks that were trying to be true to the actual elvis rather than a caricature of the actual elvis Yeah. yeah did you find that to be true yes yes
1: yes yeah because they they weren't there and and they all had different movies or different things that they saw that
0: yeah and, and
1: I was okay with all of it because you know it's good music. Bottom line is it was good music and I liked the music and so that's what absolutely, I did. Absolutely. And but then and, I moved on from it because just just like now Elvis it was stressful to to travel the road like that and I decided not to do that early on. So I got a job in corporate America. Um but uh, still having come through all the stress that I did in my life and and genetically uh, the family had a predisposition for uh, what they used to call hardening of the arteries they now call arterial sclerosis uh, so my arteries are narrowing and I have advanced stages of it now but stress makes it worse uh, Prolonged stress kills. <laughs> Uh, at 45 years old, I had my open heart double bypass surgery. Uh, and then at 59 uh, and a half, I had my full-blown heart attack, which was the end of my, all of my traveling, all of my career, so to speak. Uh,
0: no, was- but you know, the cool thing is about, and looking at your bio and the man that you are, is the cool thing is, is you, you can't keep a good man down and you keep reinventing yourself. Well, I, I, I want to give, you know, I
1: want to help. I want to share what I have with people. And that's what my whole career was all about was, you know, to be a good entertainer, even to be a good corporate employee, you have to give, you know, you have to give up yourself. And that's in that while I sat on the couch for a year and a half recovering from the heart attack, uh, you know, my wife was trying to encourage me and and um, um, I had been doing, of course, all my career. I did a lot of benefit concerts for for kids and families, and you know, muscular dystrophy. You name it. I was there doing a benefit concert. You know, I wanted to help others. And um, while I was on the couch, the words from uh, one of the boys' homes, because I went back and did some concerts for orphanages and group homes. And one of the directors told me, Danny, you know, you're so encouraging. Your story needs to be heard. And I just went, hell, who wants to hear about me, you know? And he (laughs) goes, no. He said, these boys who have learned that you used to be one of them and you're now in corporate America and you're an entertainer and made it to Vegas. He goes, that's encouraging. And the counselors are encouraged, you know, and in fact, the whole program. Is encouraged to see that somebody that's where these kids are right now could make it to where you are. Your story yeah. needs
0: to be heard. And when you performed, after you were done, yeah, I'll bet you a thousand dollars sitting here that you went in and into the audience, you went into the audience and shook hands.
1: Yes, I did, and I Sorry. I stayed until the last person in line got to meet me, and we sold pictures you know, and, and uh, signed autographs, I did. I was the last person out of the building. <laughs> Elvis <laughs> left the building, I hung around. <laughs>
0: As well you should, and then, you know, and then you became, you became, you became, became a, a reverend. And, yes, uh, and I always
1: uh, wanted to do that. So while I was uh, uh, down, I had, I had started the program, but between a full-time job and entertaining and then trying to take classes afterwards uh but but after the heart attack i had all that time so i finished it and i got my associate's degree in theology and then became an ordained minister
0: and they which which did you write the book at the same time that you were down or is this yeah yeah
1: later? i wrote the first book when i was down the the my journey in the shadow of the king yes I've written two books right they're both on amazon Right. And uh, my journey in the shadow of the king is a lot of what we just got done talking about how I went through everything. I started out wanting to be like Elvis. And then the older I got, the more I realized I needed to be like the king of kings, not the king of rock and roll. Gotcha. <laughs> so gotcha. that's my journey in the shadow of, quote
0: unquote, the king. <laughs> and now you are. Um, um... You are founder and director of the Aging Out Academy. Yes. Uh, first of all, let's talk about the, the book, 99 Days of 100% Encouragement. I love the title. I love the book. It was so much fun. <laughs> and and it's, it's about 99 Days of 100% Encouragement.
1: Yes, it is. And what, the, where it came from is I, after, after the heart attack, uh, looking for what I should be doing with myself, I wrote, I wrote the first book, and I reached out to Dr. John DeGarmo from the foster care institute because my heart was to help kids in foster care that are coming out of foster care like I did or or even worse you know some some had more problems than what I had but I wanted to get to them and I wanted to help them and be encouraged by my story just like the director of of the boys home told me so here I'm trying to heed that and get a hold of some of these kids and try and help them you know what I've been there. I've done that. You're going to be okay. It works out in the end, you know, and (laughs) you got to put some effort, but you can do it. I did it, you know. And so when I met Dr. John DeGarmo, he mentored me for about a year. And during the course of that year, I saw that he had written about 10 or 15 books. He actually has had 60 foster kids come to his home over the years, him and his wife. And he also has adopted three of those. And he still he still has foster kids, and uh, he created the Foster Care Institute to help train and support, and be there to be side by side with foster parents. And there's over thirty thousand people in his foster Facebook group now. And one of his books was uh, called the Little Book of Encour- of not encouragement, the Little Book. Of inspiration, I think it was for foster parents. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that book, I thought, "Well, wait a minute. Somebody needs to encourage the kids." <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> yes, the foster parents might be encouragement, but imagine being in it, you know, and going through it. So I, I, I thought a little bit about it, and so the very next phone call, I, I had like monthly phone calls with with Doctor John. And the next uh, conference call that we had, I said, you know, I've got an idea. I said, you have the, the little book of inspiration for the foster parents. I said, we need one for the kids. And he goes, okay. He said, what are you going to call it? I said, well, how about 99 days of 100% uh, encouragement? And he didn't even bat an eye. And he just went, I love it. Do it. <laughs> and so it was like six or eight months later, I actually did it. And I think he was surprised that I had done it and, and, and it came so quickly, but it was just, it was there, you know, and it's not all me. Probably about 40, 45% of the phrases and, and, and uh, things in there are, are Danny Van, if you will, and my life experiences. But I, I pulled in stories from other foster people like Simone Biles, like Andrew Bridge, who wrote a book, uh, Hope's Boy. And it was on New York Times bestseller list. Uh, There's two or three other people. I bring in stories from Mother Teresa, from Thomas Edison, Ben Franklin, Helen Keller. You know, all these people that have faced diversity and circumstances and overcome them. And so, each page in the book—and I don't know if you'll be able to see this or not—but it has a picture. Look at there's a cell phone on a beach. Guess what it says? It says, I am who I am, 411, okay? So cell phone, kids know 411, right? Some call me crazy, others call me for advice, <laughs> right? So the whole, the whole book is all these different one page, but then at the bottom of every day, at the bottom of the page, there's a say it and share it exercise. So for the 411, I am who I am. Some people call me crazy. Others call me for advice. The say it is, I will just be me today. I'm just going to be me today, right? And so share it with people around you. When you go out into the world, you're going to say, what you see is what you get, me. <laughs>
0: oh, I just love so that.
1: It's okay to be me, right? You so know, that's and- just one of the days. That's just one of the days. But there's,
0: yeah. That's a, that's one of those things where in in our society right now, in a lot of cases, it's not right. okay to be me. Yeah, it's yeah, you, because true. you're taught to be something else, You'd be and what society you
1: wants you to be. Yeah, yeah. It's been but an to struggle.
0: Yeah, you do have to stand up for yourself, absolutely. And if you do that, good things will happen. And you're you are your testament to that because you could have gone, it could have gone a completely different way when you were seventeen. It could have. Yes, it really could have.
1: And and God was there for me. So God is in this book. If you, you know, I know sometimes you can't say the G word, but I always do anyway. Uh, You're allowed. <laughs>
0: it's, it's, it's acceptable.
1: Yeah. And, and what happened was, is when, when I was very young, before the divorce, uh, uh, my grandmother, my mother's mother, I was the first grandchild. So we were very close. And she went to church. They were Catholic, Italian Catholics. So we went to church all the time. Grandma sang in the choir. I saw what a a great place it was to be in church and how she tried to to be a kind person and good to everybody. Um, And mom sent us to catechism. I learned the Ten Commandments early. So I had that with me and within me. And when I went to the orphanage, they dropped us off at a Catholic orphanage. And I literally at the orphanage. I, I became an altar boy to help out with the with the mass every day. I literally went to church every day of the week and twice on Sunday, literally for a year and a half.
0: Well, and being an altar boy in a good in a good situation is a good place to be. Yes, but but
1: had I not been that close with God and had had God with me during all that, I don't I don't know that I. It would have been a lot harder, you know, and I'm not sure how it would have ended up because a lot of those guys, guys and gals that were in that orphanage had problems, big problems, you know, but they didn't have the hope that I had, you know.
0: Well, and, and I'm so glad that you are taking the time now to give that hope back to the kids that are growing up today because gosh knows in the world that they're getting, they're going to need all the help they can get.
1: Yep, exactly. And that's what the Aging Out Academy is for, is um, I've taken my life lessons. And and frankly, over the last two years, uh, you know, working with Dr. John and learning about what's going on in foster care in the 21st century, I've learned a lot, and I, I wanted to bring what I've learned to light and to help share it with those that are going through it today. That's what Aging Out Academy is for.
0: You know, and we, as a society, we really don't think about the kids that are 16, 17, 18, that are in foster care, have been for years, and maybe they've gone to 15 different schools uh, in the course of that time. They, they don't have a chance to get well adjusted, and then they turn 18, and then we say, you're an adult now, have a nice day, good luck. Yeah. And I think that's why your yeah. academy is so, so important. Yes. Um, yes. Because you and you do they, does anybody really age out or do they just transition to be an adult and they still have got stuff that they need to reconcile from when they were a kid? You know,
1: there, right now, as we're talking, there's over 450,000 kids in foster care in the United States. You're right, kidding. Right now, every year between 22 and 25,000 age out, and they're no longer covered by the programs, okay? And, and the, they did move the age out age. Most states, it's 21. Some of them is as uh, old as 24 for some parts of the programs. But these kids, there are as many different stories and as many different variations of how their lives went and are going as there are kids because everybody's different. So you can't generalize, you can't stereotype some kids like Andrew Bridge, for example, uh, he's, he's in the book and and he went on to become the director of, of the Child Welfare Institute in California. Okay. Uh, others have gone on to be doctors. Some have gone on to be great gymnasts. So some people rise to it. Some people will cling to something in their life to become. And this is part of the message, uh, not only of my books, but also uh, of the Aging Out Academy, is find your passion. Find what you love to do. Find what you're good at. And if you don't know, guess what? There are free assessment tests you can take online anywhere from five minutes to two hours, depending on how intense you want to make it. And they're free and they're in my, uh, at my website right now, they're in my, I have a free ebook
0: called foster youth survivor basics, which is yeah. www surprisingly enough, Danny, Van. Danny Van. Dot com.
1: <laughs> make it simple, make it simple. And it's a free ebook. It's right on the front page. It's like bluish green. It's got some people shaking hands and, uh, it's called survivor, uh, foster care survivor basics. And in there, I've got almost three dozen links to free resources to help foster youth, and uh, some of them uh, doesn't matter what your age is. For example, if you need uh, a life coach or a mentor, uh, there's an organization called UCU.org, Y-O-U-S-E-E-Y-O-U.org, and they'll bring you on as 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 a uh, uh, a, a life coach, a uh, student, or a mentee for nothing, no charge, and you can have a mentor for life. It uh, doesn't matter how old you are. So if you need somebody to talk to, if you need somebody to kind of like bounce things off of, or or, or or you never had that father figure or that mother figure, they have people there. And And I am one, by the way, I'm a mentor with that. And so there's all this, and it's, it's on my website. I have things to help guide foster parents. I have things to help guide CASAs, caseworkers, and give them ideas to help connect with the kids, to communicate with the kids, to prepare them. There's a program called First Star Program, which goes into high schools. And for those kids that want to go to college in foster care, they, they bring them through the whole program they'll help them and they'll pay for everything they'll give them scholarships so there's opportunities and there's help
0: so there 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 are resources for these kids oh,
1: tons of resources
0: but we we, we we can't connect with the kids we don't you know don't know how to get through to them because i, I was going to ask you that that because to end up in foster care i'm assuming that there was a horrific thing an event or series of events that had gone on in the young person's life, usually, Do, is yeah. there a concerted effort to get them the therapy and the help and the and things as they're growing up that they're going to yeah. need through life? In in a lot of states,
1: there are programs. Unfortunately, just like there's 450 thousand foster kids, there's tens of thousands of foster families and foster parents who come in all shapes, sizes, and mentalities. And some are good at it. Some are doing it for who knows what reason. It's, you know, it's just like everything else in the world. You know, everything would, it'd be a perfect world if there weren't any people in it. You know, (laughs) because people mess things up. I mess things up. Everybody gets selfish or who knows? There's all kinds of things. But but to answer your question, yes, there's programs, but somebody has to walk you through it. The, the, you, know, you also have to remember that when your brain's not wired right, you don't think straight, you don't act straight, you don't want help, you don't know you need help. You're just trying to survive. And when you get in the survivor mode, there's there's another book and I and I quoted uh, Bessel van der Kolk in here in this 99 days of encouragement I've, I quoted him and I did quote Bruce Duncan Perry uh, Bessel van der Kolk's book is called The Body Keeps the Score and the whole premise now both of these guys have done over 40 years of research on trauma in the body, trauma in the brain, trauma in youth. What does it do when they become adults? How long do you carry all this trauma with you, right? Is it repairable? How do you go about repairing it? And, And the body keeps the score says that even if you think that you're over something, when those circumstances arise again, the body autoimmune system kicks in. You go into fight or flight, even though I've been there, I've done that, I dealt with it, I talked about it, I counseled about it. But yet when it happens, I'm still there. Cause you my can body, get triggered. you, you can get, get triggered, triggered and you
0: don't even know how. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it and it just affects you in such a it can affect you in such a negative way. And that's and that's what that's why I was asking, is there help for these? The, for so, these kids? The, so
1: the short answer is yes, there's help. Um and, and there's two major moves that are going through foster care right now. And one of them is saying, you know what? We've got this stream of kids coming through foster care. What if we get upriver in front of the flood and f- start helping the families before they get so traumatized that these kids are going through this? Oh, you think? What, what it, yeah. There, there's, there's a movement called Family First. And it's going on throughout the country. Uh, there is also a movement which is being led by I Foster, uh, the, the small I Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R.org. And that's an organization that is former foster adults who are now banding together to go to Washington, D.C. and all the various government organizations and give their side of the story and make recommendations on how to help, how to not necessarily fix everything, but what where the where the fallacies are today, and what would help in the future to try and help turn things around
0: well, it takes a village, and we all have to work together to to right. do it and I you know we're going to run out of time but and it, I have to have you back Danny because you are you are a a wonderful guest, and I love your message, okay. and I want to support it yeah um, but i I can only imagine how pervasive the opiate crisis is amongst our our youth yeah. and it's causing un- a foster kids from parents that are quite literally dying
1: yes yes
0: not only dying but also
1: getting into a place of neglect and abuse be- to support their habit you know and so uh, out at Aging Out Academy, I've got listings of, of these uh, resources at my website Dannyvan.com. You can get to Aging Out Academy from there on the front page. Uh, I'm on YouTube with Aging Out Academy and uh, uh, and, and I have this you know these v- verbal videos uh, so that people can hear the story and hear, how some of these things work and what you can do uh, if you have a situation. I invite people to email me. If you go to my website, uh, you can sign up for a newsletter that I put out. Uh, Monthly, I put out resources and links uh, to both uh, foster parents and youth and aging out youth. So um, there's just all kinds, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of resources and opportunities.
0: What's really cool is that this has obviously become your passion in life. Yes. <laughs> and anything that becomes your passion in life, you will succeed at. Um, I, will, I will work at succeeding at it. <laughs> you, you know, honestly, that's all you can do. That's is, it. is, is the best you can. And yep. uh, I applaud the man that you are and you. the life lessons that you've had that have led you to this, to where yep. you can now turn around and give back. And that's yes. awesome.
1: And if there's any agencies that watch this, I just uh, delivered 600 copies of 99 Days of 100% Encouragement to the Just in Time for Foster Youth Agency uh, uh, program in San Diego, California. They purchased 600 copies to put into their program so they can give them to the youth. And I've, ha- I've got a couple agencies here in Michigan that have ordered uh, copies uh, of the Wellspring Lutheran services and big family home services here. And uh, these are programs that help not only foster parents, but transitioning youth uh, for, uh, just in time for foster youth is a transitioning program in California and they're going nationwide. So I'm pretty excited that they've, they've uh, decided to, uh, to take this, uh,
0: this, this into their program so well you're doing well son congratulations yes, it's uh you. it's pretty it's pretty dynamic and and uh i applaud your work and uh we I, will you come back on and talk more i'd about love it? to i'd love to yeah i'd love to send me questions go. if people yes. have
1: questions or concerns let me know and we'll come and get you some answers <laughs> we'll
0: do the best we can yeah awesome. Awesome. You know, in a, in a country like ours that that has got such unlimited resources, I think it's a crime that there are four hundred and fifty thousand kids that don't have uh, every every advantage in life, and there is also sixteen million kids that go to bed hungry. I think that's just a crime that, that that's going on in this country. And
1: and, and can I suggest what Doctor John has been pushing for many years now is that that the churches get more involved. James one twenty seven.
0: James one twenty seven. I I could not agree more, because if you want to look at a Christ-like consciousness, getting involved in helping those that are the least among us is our highest calling.
1: Perfect religion, perfect spirituality is this, that you help the orphan and the widow. James one twenty seven.
0: And I can't thank you enough, Danny Van, for being here. Go to DannyVan.com. To get all the information that you need and uh he'll be back ladies and gentlemen so i'm looking forward to that danny thank you so much for the work that you're doing and, thanks, and, get, some, and get some rest and don't have any stress we need to keep you That's around for a very lovely. very long yeah. time
1: yeah all right so my main message these days is be encouraged people be encouraged
0: awesome we'll see you next time danny stay right where you are thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team... Remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.